I just came back from the salon. And for the record, I went with a sassy little bob and quiet luxury shade of blonde. Yes, that's literally what we're calling it, quiet luxury. Aside from trips to the salon, I don't actually blow out my hair. My hair is naturally wavy, and that's why I love Way. Way's new anti-frizz cream is a lightweight cream that provides immediate frizz control that lasts for up to 72 hours. I know that I have a limited amount of time <laughs> with wet, wavy hair in which to get myself in order. And that is why I love the anti-frizz cream. It has notes of bergamot, Italian lemon, violet, and more. And it smells un. Believable, Truly, as someone who is a little bit sensitive to scents, I put this in my hair and I feel great. It also genuinely pairs well with my perfume, which I appreciate. I don't blow out my hair because after years of color processing and attempting to make it straight, I know it looks better and stays healthier when I avoid blow drying, which is why I love the anti-frizz cream. I've used products, especially with wavy hair, where it feels heavy and looks kind of wet. And that's why I love Waze Anti-Frizz Cream because it enhances the natural waves in my hair. I still look like me, just a little elevated. And P.S. I am way obsessed with Waze's other bestsellers. Their leave-in conditioner, detox shampoo, my personal favorite. Frizz free up your schedule with Way. Go to T-H-E- O-U-A-I dot com and enter promo code Andy for 15% off any product. That's T-H-E-O-U-A-I dot com with promo code Andy. In the words of Meredith Marks, when it comes to that week, week and a half before my period, I wish I was disengaging. My PMS is off the charts. Truly Uber Eats needs to check in and say, it's about that time, isn't it? I know it is. The cravings are crazy. I want to crawl out of my skin. Now it's easier to manage PMS with Estro Control. Happy Mammoth, the company that created Hormone Harmony and Estro Control, is dedicated to making women's lives easier. And that means using only science-backed ingredients that have been proven to work for women. They make no compromise when it comes to quality, and it shows. For AGs who are friends of perimenopause, menopause, or postmenopause, Happy Mammoth has Hormone Harmony. It's not just a supplement for women going through those stages. It's also become a phenomenon. Women can't stop talking about it on social media. A bottle of Hormone Harmony is sold every 24 seconds. For a limited time, you can get 15% off your entire first order at happymammoth.com. Just use the code ANDYSGIRLS at checkout. That's happymammoth.com and use the code ANDYSGIRLS for 15% off today. I'm engaging. It's Andy's girl. 
It's episode, I actually, I swear to God, I don't remember. It's 502 or 503. And um, listen, thanks for your patience with this episode. I really wanted to, because I had put out a bonus AG Classic last week that was focused on Salt Lake and one focused on Salt Lake and Beverly Hills, I just thought with the timing for this week, it might be nice to put up an AG after the VPR um, premiere. Um which I was sent early and forgot to watch, which has absolutely happened before. So I watched it live um, because at that point I was like, fuck it, let's just let's do it with the commercials and just kind of get the full Bravo experience. And it's interesting. So I've only watched the episode once um, versus my normal 60 to 80 times. I don't know. I'll probably watch it one more time just for the purposes of like, I wonder how much I maybe missed, not in plot, but nuance. Um, I watched the Watch What Happens After It with Lala and Michael Rappaport, which was a kind of so sort of like a clunky energy. I don't know that it entirely fit. Um, I was surprised that Ariana wasn't there, except that Ariana just opened on Broadway. So of course she couldn't be there. Um, Although I don't know what night Chicago is dark, um, what night the theater is off. It's usually Mondays for most Broadway shows, but many of them uh, have have performances on Monday night. um, And Chicago certainly did this week because that's when uh, Ariana premiered. And um, so certainly she had other plans. Um, and then I did watch the two part. <laughs> I watched the two part after show for VPR, which they put up minutes after um, the premiere, which I guess I recommend. I, it, it clarified some stuff, but there are other points where I just thought to myself, you know, the fewer minutes that Sandoval spends in front of any kind of camera or in front of talking or God forbid monologuing, the the smaller we can get that amount of time, the better it probably is for Tom Sandoval if he's thinking reputation versus attention. If he's thinking attention, and I would argue that seems to be his top priority, he would do what he's doing now. If he was interested maybe in like accountability or any kind of PR crisis management, I think he would have gone another way. Um, I know I mentioned on a recent AG and certainly online as well that I was interested in potentially covering maybe the first episode, maybe first two episodes of Rachel's podcast. And I was just kind of thinking like, I don't know that how I'm going to get capacity to do that soon, because I do think it should happen soon since it's been out for a minute. Um, But I was interested in doing that because I felt like her response, her public response was really done through the lens of like Bethany's own motivations, which doesn't necessarily need to be perceived in a negative way, just in terms of like the reality reckoning of like, it appeared she had a checklist, she wanted to hit a couple certain points. And Rachel was there to answer to questions that she had based on her own motivations versus like, let's get into the Rachel of of it all and the nitty gritty and the nuance, which would be hard to do if you're not an ardent VPR viewer. And if you haven't seen every Scandal episode and maybe hopefully like the reunions prior. 
or at least one reunion prior. So I felt like I wanted to hear her voice. I haven't had a chance to listen to it. But since then, in a fascinating turn of events, Nick Vial put up his 700th episode of his show, which was an interview with both Toms. Now, I have heard from people I know from AGs that it is a complete and total shit show. So there's a part of me that almost wants to go closer to that because I know that there's going to be a level of emotion that I'll feel watching it, but that emotion is probably going to be pretty toxic and pretty negative going off of Howie Mandel. And I've asked people who've watched it, is there essentially a difference in Tom and Sandoval's behavior since Howie? And the response that I got was essentially, no, he doubles down. So like Tom is the victim of his own doings. So I don't know. That made me feel a certain way. So I initially was like, wait a second, am I going to, you know, focus on Rachel or Tom? Now I'm thinking, because this is an embarrassment of riches, maybe I do both. Maybe there's an AG classic that includes both perspectives, because I don't think it's fair to put more light on what I assume are extreme inconsistencies with reality by once again sharing Tom Sandoval's perspective and not also sharing Rachel's, who I may have called Raquel, so I apologize. Um, So hopefully that will be coming soon. (laughs) I look forward to it. Um, You know, I got some DMs from people after I posted a poll saying, like, which of these two options would you potentially prefer if if you would like either of them? And someone messaged me and essentially said, you know what, like, you're probably going to feel emotions watching Sandoval, but Rachel's is probably closer to the truth and reality of what happened. And it's likely a little bit more nuanced, which is a take I certainly understand and likely agree with, having not... um listened or watched either. Uh, So stay tuned for that soon. But let's talk for a second about the premiere. So I thought it was a solid premiere. Did it change my life? No. Was it going to? Was it ever planned to? No. I appreciated that there was some lightness at the beginning of the episode, but there was one thing that I ju- that just made me feel a little huh, and maybe I'm misinterpreting the way that the episodes kind of segued into each other, but at the tail obviously, you know, Bravo's been playing VPR all day all night leading up into the live premiere of season 11. And I just kind of felt like it. we went from quite literally on camera from the finale of the reunion, reunion part three last season, Rachel crying on camera about the fact that she and Tom like fucked while Ariana in Tom and Ariana's bed while Ariana was at um, her grandmother's funeral in Florida. So we was her grandmother. It was her grandmother's funeral in Florida. So we went from Rachel crying, which we had already seen, obviously, in last season's in last in the reunion when we watched it live. And we went into tonight's premiere. But there was one little thing where I just immediately was like, oh, wait, maybe I'm not watching this correctly. Maybe I didn't see this moment accurately. But my interpretation of what I watched happen was Rachel was like had labored breathing and was crying and the crying went directly into the premiere. Like it was almost like they used a little edit of her crying from the end of the reunion episode 
into the premiere of season 11. There was something about the crying where I'm like, this went a second too long. It felt like we were still hearing it if you technically were only watching the premiere itself and not the reunion um, finale. There was something about it where I was like, oh, I hope I'm wrong about this because it feels like they're drawing out that pain to start season 11. Maybe it was just the fact that it was like segueing in. I don't know how that would be possible from an edit perspective, but it did like take my breath for, you know, 0.5 seconds, because I just kind of thought like, oof, that is heavy handed if that is something that they did or just the reality of going straight from that part of that like sort of devastating blow at the end of the reunion into the premiere. Then the premiere started and it was honestly like kind of light at the beginning, which I appreciated. It felt like, which is again, one of those reasons where I was like, oh, the contrast here is, um, you know, it's a little tough. But I did appreciate that the beginning of the episode felt lighter, felt like there had been a weight that was removed. I honestly feel like even in moments from the premiere that are technically heavy, maybe it's because we have the benefit of time. We have certainly have the benefit of much more time than the cast did when they started filming season 11 relatively, you know, pretty shortly after the reunion, all things considered, this isn't like they picked up cameras six months later. They did want to take advantage of residual energy coming out of the reunion and just coming out of the scandal in general. Um, But I did feel like even some of these like potentially complicated feelings, emotions, relationships are more palatable to digest, let alone possibly discuss, because we have had the benefit of being able to like sit in all of this scandal for so long. And also for some of us at a certain point, it's like, how are you going to carry all the darkness of that? Some of us are just like, not that we're moving on entirely from the scandal, but I do think there's a different way to have the, the conversation. The stakes feel a lot lower in a way that I think is beneficial because we can't all be operating at an 11, let alone like 36, the way that we were last season. Last season was like triage style. There was so much happening. Emotions were all over the place. Everybody was operating at a really high level of just frustration, anger, stress, et cetera. And that's members of the cast. That could also be content creators, who's <laughs> to say. But there was something nice about the fact that, okay, we can now discuss this and like actually have a conversation and it doesn't feel quite so heightened. Um, so I appreciated that. I did also like there were certain edits that I quite literally cackled. One was James talking about how quiet and lovely his new house was and then <laughs> getting the cut of the airplanes going by. I truly did laugh out loud. Another Tom filming his dumb show in New Zealand, which I I did not watch. And I'm sure it was great. LOL. I truly don't care. I was not going to watch a single second of it. Um, I thought that was uh, a great way, honestly, to start the episode um, because it was like, okay, we can we can laugh. <laughs> Laughter's back. Um, and the laughter doesn't rely on some yucky stuff that was maybe said out of extreme angst prior. Um, so there were a couple points that <laughs> Sandoval, I'm like, God, he's always going to be the butt of the joke. Is he not? I mean, first off, 
the Ariana and Tom needing to go through Tom's assistant, it is interesting that seemingly Sandoval has an assistant or at least a personal assistant and Ariana does not. Because this man is like hemorrhaging money. Hemorrhage. I don't understand how he is essentially able to pay for anything because of the fact that I think that house is like underwater, like overly mortgaged with everything he was doing with the restaurant, with the tour. I mean, all of that required extreme legit cash. And I don't know how he's going to be able to get out of it. But it does not seem like his quality of life has changed in any way. And has he gotten a crazy amount of attention? Yes. Has he been able to monetize it as any of the women, aside from Rachel, have on the cast? No, not even close to that. I mean, I don't know what Schwartz and Sandys is like day to day. I did hear that there were a ton of people in there at the height of Scandaval, but a lot of them were just there to take pictures and leave. Um, Schwartz mentioned that there were people like harassing maybe staff members. I remember people were like writing things on walls. I don't know how many paying customers are there day to day and how they can salvage what their plans were, which were in many ways based on reputation. It does also make a gal wonder. Now, I haven't listened to Rachel's episodes, but she did, I guess, say some shit about Schwartz on one of them, including the fact that he, spoiler alert, knew well before uh, when he and Sandoval attempted to tell us that he found out or was told or whatever else that there was like an ongoing for real, for real affair. It was not a one night stand, which would have been terrible to begin with, but that this was like seemingly their own individual relationship between Sandoval and Rachel. So when Schwartz is talking about the fact that Sandoval's choices, Sandoval should have known better because his choices affected the reputation of the business and their own brand reputation, it does make a person kind of reflect on the fact of like, okay, well, then when did Schwartz find out? And was he thinking about the restaurant and brand reputation in that manner after he found out about all of this? Like, if we're saying that Sandoval should have known better and changed his behavior, acted accordingly, purely for the purposes of not fucking up your business shit, I wonder if Schwartz was thinking that way too. Um, my guess is he probably was. I don't think he changed any behavior, though, as a result of it. So I think there is a lot of nuance to unpack in the Schwartz of it all that does not reflect well on him. And while I think Sandoval will probably continue to be somewhat of a clown and just try to utilize a certain kind of vulnerability to like seek revenge against Ariana, against the attention that she has received, against his own upset that people haven't rallied around him, and maybe try to change some of the not influence that he has, because that feels staggeringly wrong, but just to kind of adjust some of the noise level, I would be curious how Schwartz is going to come off through not just really the rest of the season, but through the media attention around all of this. Like, I want to watch Schwartz respond to some of Rachel's accusations, and I want to see 
if Sandoval is protecting him, how much of that is just Sandoval protecting himself? So there is some sort of interesting gray nuanced areas here to unpack that I don't know that this season will cover, but I do think that press cycles definitely could because my guess is anybody talking to Schwartz is going to want to talk to the, about the timeline in like one of their first couple eps. I think that is going to be something that people feel like they haven't gotten the truth about. Um, and you have to look at who benefits from Schwartz saying he only found out, you know, shortly before. Because I think if you kind of look at last season in those episodes, it's not necessarily backed up by his behavior when it comes to that. Um, so aside from the fact that Sandoval has a personal assistant, who I'm sure is paid in drum sets or something. Um, there was another little bit of a chuckle in this whole uh, noting the no contact policy, which I think is good for everyone involved. The fact that I guess after Ariana told this poor assistant to tell Sandoval to like adjust his LED lights or something, this man child who is still truly in his college freshman year, potentially for life. I mean, you hear about people who are lifers. It's like Tom Sandoval exhibit number one. The fact that his response would be that LED lights fall under freedom of speech. Does he not understand? It's like when Michael Scott thought he could file for bankruptcy by just yelling bankruptcy out loud. Like that's not, that doesn't make any sense. Does Sandoval think if he just yells out LED lights, I can hang them or light them and have them be as powerful as I want? That's not how freedom of speech works, sweetie. Like that's not how any of it, I can't imagine dating someone like that, but I certainly never want to imagine having that person as an ex, let alone owning property with them. That feels like a terrible, terrible situation and environment. And I think he gets into this on the after show. I forget which part, but I remember him saying something along the lines of like, if Ariana... Ariana couldn't have couldn't have been as upset as she was at me staying there and not moving out because she stayed. So she seemed to be perfectly fine. So he does this thing that he will probably continue to do forever and ever. Amen. Of like minimizing the impact of the trauma that Ariana felt as a result of his continuous, consistently poor decisions. And then so to like sort of blame this person for doing the thing that I'm sure she was advised by her lawyer, her financial advisor of like, don't move out of the house because when it comes to fighting for it, we don't want you to be in a position where moving out is going to in some way change the dial. So for him to now say, well, it must not have been that bad for us to live together because you were able to do it versus her response of like, I didn't realize how strong I was until I was able to survive that terrible experience. It gives you so much more, not that we really needed another window into Sandoval's um, view on the world, but it does just provide another little glimpse into what feels like such self-satisfying, selfish, callous, crude kind of responses for a man who ended the reunion last season being like, I will always root for you. I will always be that man rooting. I don't know that we have seen him root for her. Not once. If this is what rooting for your ex looks like, if this is what I will love you forever looks like, like 
let's not do that anymore then. I would prefer hate because it's just, it feels like it continues to be a level of manipulation and power that he wants to have and maybe have over her of, I'm not going to make this easy for you at all. I don't want you to feel any kind of peace with this. Now, I guess he's saying in real time that, you know, she won't accept whatever offer he has, you know, sent to buy her out of the house. I don't really have any details on that. I would refer you to the Legal Minds Bravo docket and Emily D. Baker for the ins and outs of protection when it comes to the legalities. But there was a moment from the premiere that I thought was interesting that I assume Ariana has evolved from when she said something along the lines of like she didn't want Tom to keep the house because she didn't want the house. She didn't want him to feel like he was going to win. And I just kind of think, no, the winning is cutting ties with him. If he gets to keep the house that she helped design and he gets to have it with Rachel or somebody else, he gets to have that life, but he's stuck being himself. You get to grow and evolve. Like, to me, Ariana's life has become so much bigger. And I think Sandoval's life has become more angular. Like, I think he's tightening up these bad qualities that he's always had. I don't look at him as someone who has grown at all, even a little bit. I say that noting again, I haven't watched this new deep dive interview, but I've heard from people that it is a sloppy, weird almost almost unwatchable, which means it could be very watchable, but also like extremely cringeworthy thing that he is still kind of doing this again, like freshman year bro energy that doesn't seem to be working out in his favor, except for the fact that he has an expiration date on the Scandaval, but the clock is still ticking. Like there is still time left in which people are going to want a specific form of his attention and his name and like media, yada, yadas, all that and more. But that's going to expire soon. He's not making any moves that are going to set him up in his whatever future endeavor he wants. He could continue, I guess, to be infamous. But I don't know how many, you know, joining the military in New Zealand to film for reality TV show, you know, doing a lot of cardio shows there are left for him. He can do the Mars thing, right? That Schwartz did where they like go to Mars or whatever. I don't see Sandoval going back to Winter House if that show even, I don't know if it's, if there's, if they have future seasons planned, but I think the clock is really, really ticking on how many future opportunities he's going to have on top of Vanderpump Rules. And if he's just going to exhibit the same kinds of behavior consistently off the pulse, consistently moving backward in ways that are inexplicable, then you could argue he's got, you know... (laughs) The, the vast future ahead of him when it comes to being on Vanderpump Rules, because if he hasn't grown at all and he continues to be deeply emotionally immature, that to me makes his influence on VPR and his future on VPR like much more uh, certain than uh, otherwise. If he just kind of seem to magically grow out of this <laughs> and become a different person and mature, which people do, it is possible. Um, you know, one could argue that he might not be interested in remaining on a show like Vanderpump Rules, or you could argue that the show would be like, well, who's going to be the new 
<laughs> Sandoval or Jax. You know, maybe Sandoval shuffles over to the Valley, which looks almost unwatchable, but I will I will watch the premiere. I don't know how much extra energy that show is going to get out of me. It might be. It might be good. It probably won't be, but it might be. It, it's it's possible. Anything is possible. Um, so I just kind of look at Sandoval and I'm like, all right, well, if he's going to give the exact same thing over and over again, it is going to, I guess, help him on the show. It will give us something to talk about and maybe more importantly, rage over. But I don't see him growing out of this. Meanwhile, Ariana's like on fucking Broadway. This woman just killed it on Dancing with the Stars. She has a new cocktail book without him. She is on the cover of magazines. Like she's she's doing a lot. I think she does she have another book coming out in addition to that? She might have a second book. She's all over the place. She's doing good things. She's speaking in a way that feels emotional and centered. She's seemingly focused on herself. She's not again throwing a little shade now and again, but it just feels like they're such different universes. And I don't know that Sandoval has the ability to monetize in any way or to make this into some sort of business or growth potential because it just feels so apparent that he's just not that guy. Paris is always a good idea. And when I schlep on over to Europe to my favorite city in the world, I bring with me a few important phrases that I have learned from housewives. C'est bon, c'est bon. Chic c'est la vie. Je m'appelle the Countess. N'est-ce pas, Luan? <laughs> and while those key phrases are important when speaking to any French bravoholic for other matters of life, that's where Rosetta Stone comes in. Rosetta Stone is the trusted expert for 30 years with millions of users and 25 languages offered, including, of course, French. It features fast language acquisition. It immerses you in so many ways. There's no English translations. So you really learn to speak, to listen, and to think in that language. It's an intuitive process. You pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. J'adore Chris Manzo. Et toi? There's a speech recognition filter, which gives you feedback on your pronunciation. It's convenient with desktop and app options, and it's an amazing value. Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership has all 25 languages for any and all trips and language needs in life. That's lifetime access to all 25 language courses Rosetta Stone offers for 50% off. A steal. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, AGs can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com today. Today. Shout out to Astapro for sponsoring this episode and providing me with free samples. Astapro is a first-of-its-kind nasal allergy spray. It's the fastest 24-hour over-the-counter allergy spray. It starts working in 30 minutes, while other allergy sprays take hours. Astapro is the first and only 24-hour steroid-free allergy spray. It delivers full prescription strength indoor and outdoor allergy relief from nasal congestion, runny and itchy nose, and sneezing. 
Living in New York City is not easy. Just ask Sonia trying to sell that house. There are so many mornings where I wake up and think, oh my gosh, I'm having the worst cold of my life. And I realize it's actually from allergies. When my nasal allergies flare up, and that happens when the season changes and the temps get a little warmer than they normally are, I use Astapro, and I'm amazed at how fast I'm back in the game. And that game is looking for Dorinda on the Upper East Side. Astapro always has my back and nose. Get fast-acting nasal allergy symptom relief with Astapro. Go to astaproallergy.com for a discount so you can Astapro and go today. A-S-T-E-P-R-O allergy.com. Astapro and go. Use as directed for relief of nasal congestion, runny nose, sneezing, and itchy nose due to allergies. Conversations around wellness and weight loss can be complicated. There's the Instagram filter we all see on IG and social media, and then IRL. And between $20 smoothies and daily ice baths, everyone is doing the most to hack the health system. But there's a better way. Roe. Roe provides access to the most popular weight loss shots on the market. Over 200,000 people have already chosen Roe to help them lose weight. And you can sign up from the comfort of your own home. No scheduling a doctor's appointment, commute to the doctor's office, and no waiting rooms. The Roe Body Program pairs a weekly shot with healthy lifestyle changes, so you can lose 15 to 20% of your weight in a year on average and actually keep it off. Of course, medication must be paired with diet and exercise modifications in order to achieve any stated results. Medication cost is not included in the program. Patients must pay for medication separately. With Roe, average weight loss is 15 to 20% in one year with healthy lifestyle changes. BMI and other eligibility criteria apply. Go to roco slash andysgirls. You can sign up today and you'll pay just $99 for your first month and $145 a month after that. Medication costs are separate. That's ro.co slash andysgirls. Sign up today. Like he had that chance. He had um, Schwartz and Sandys. And look how well that's turned out. Maybe not great. You know, how well is Tom Schwartz doing right now? Probably not well, bitch. Like, I I don't, he had the possibility, he had, one could argue, potentially more opportunity ahead of him at a certain point than Ariana did because his name recognition was, was to me so much bigger because it was attached to Schwartz. They were the Toms. They were seen as this like mighty duo that people really enjoyed and liked. That's why Tom Tom happened. And P.S. Something about her. My goodness, that's going to open at some point in the next 30 to 45 years. And that's going to be a pretty big fucking deal. It sounds like they are unfortunately you know, victim to whatever code licensing thing happens with opening small businesses in LA and are kind of struggling with stuff that's outside of their control. But look at what else Ariana is doing that she is in control of. And I think it helps that to me, at least Ariana and Kate, Katie to me has felt comfortable being honest and not being afraid of being, um, disliked, which is an important and potentially rare quality, especially on Bravo. And so I think with the two of them who to me just just 
my two shekels. They just appear to me to be like emotionally mature, focused business folk who want to figure out ways to monetize VPR and maybe at some point in the game get out of VPR. And it does appear that they're doing like a pretty fucking good job of it. Katie also launched a new podcast um, recently. So there are opportunities where I do think these women are blooming in many ways. And I just see the Toms becoming smaller And I don't know how much of that will affect Schwartz when it comes to like interpersonal relations with members of the cast. Obviously, a big part of the first episode was the fact that he was trying to interact with Ariana and she had no time for him, literally no time at all, which people understood. I mean, Lala and uh, Michael Rappaport, I watch what happens. We're like, we both get it. You know, they had differing opinions otherwise, but it did feel like they had um, an understanding of what was happening. Uh, But Lala, there were a couple points with Lala this episode that I thought were interesting. I mean, her conversations about custody and trying to soften and not trying to trying to avoid being like this sort of hardened, um, disconnected person just in and of herself because she didn't want to affect her child and affect her ability um, to mother and her, I guess, method of mothering, which I thought was incredibly um, fascinating and important and to me came from a place of emotional intelligence. Then she discussed having like empathy for Rachel, which I thought was solid and unexpected and honestly to me made sense when it came to the fact that she's like I have empathy for this person because I see her being like swept under um and just kind of transported because of being you know in a relationship and falling in love with like a very very toxic emotionally manipulative man so when she was saying when Lala was saying this stuff I was like oh this is great like this is I think this is the nuance that we need to see I'm surprised that it's happening the first episode I totally get the ways that Lala is comparing it to everything with Rand not to equalize Rand and Sandoval but to certainly find a connection to Rachel that we haven't heard um, from anyone else in the cast. So I was kind of down for that conversation because I it to me, I was like, oh, this feels like connective to me and interesting. And then she had to do the thing that made me absolutely roll my eyes of like, and now let's turn this into a, you know, manipulative, obvious produced moment of texting a voice note to Rachel on camera. Now, I think think we heard the entirety of what she was recording since, you know, we were watching her do it. I don't remember her ever saying, oh, and Rachel, heads up, I'm recording this right now for Vanderpump Rules, which to me, I mean, I assume that Rachel was aware if you're getting a random text message from Lala that seems, you know, honest and supportive. And it's also completely connected to the timing of when cameras were picking up again. There's a high likelihood that like if I contact her back, that's going to be shown in an upcoming season uh, in an upcoming episode rather. So I am not surprised that Rachel didn't respond back. It was though a moment where I was like, you didn't need to like, I, I guess I guess she did need to do it so that it gave her something to discuss with Ariana that would be a new complication for the women to talk out. But it did just feel to me so overly produced and like manipulative against us where I was like, oh, okay, so this is 
dumb. Like it just felt to me unnecessary and just so explicitly obvious that I was like, oh, this doesn't, this doesn't make me feel great. Especially if we're having a conversation about the fact that like she may have left treatment, she may have completed treatment rather, and it's treatment for what? So we're now dragging this woman into this stuff by just recording voice notes and sending it to her. I guess you could argue you're not really dragging her in because she gets to make the choice of not responding, which I would assume would be the right call, especially P.S. if you're not getting paid. Because if one of the reasons that Rachel didn't come back, and I know that she has allegedly said something else on her podcast about the ways that like she didn't want Ariana to feel bad by having to interact with her. <laughs> I mean... I there is another version of events where uh, which the executive producer has discussed in interviews of the fact that which she's also kind of mentioned in the Bethany pod that she wanted to be paid the same amount as Tom and Ariana. And also, according to the executive producer, that she wanted a development deal that her team was pitching Rachel developing shows as a part as a way to get her back on Vanderpump Rules, which is a lit this gets into the evidently she's madonna territory of like you're asking for an awful lot that does not track here meanwhile sheena's been in the same fucking apartment that we're we're making jokes about the fact that that sandoval's couch i'm wondering why is she in that duplex like james has a house albeit next to lax but why is sheena not moving on up why has she been in that apartment for the, like and honestly you know we stand someone making financially responsible decisions but what is happening here because I feel like everybody else in the cast who's an OG spiritual or otherwise and also James has been able to make money moves and I don't totally get why Sheena has not like where's our money going she seems she's got to be making a couple you know couple bucks here why have we not seen a change in her lifestyle at all i feel like she's the only one that we haven't seen level up in that way except now that i'm saying this out loud she did i think get a weekend house i know that she did because i remember lala talking about this next to lala in like palm palm springs or palm desert um, so she has this like, I'm sure, adorable, gorgeous little weekend house. So I guess she has done stuff. I don't know why I feel the need to see um, to see Sheena in a like a new sparkly home of her own, maybe not in Valley Village or whatever, but just somewhere somewhere. Is she still in San Diego? Did she move back to the LA area? I have so many questions. I just I just feel like I watch her in that living room every time I'm like, have we not moved from there? Like talk about moving on in life. I just want to see her move down the block or something. Let's let's figure out a nice little ranch or something else. I don't know. I can't I I, I don't totally understand it. Um so, you know, there was two points that I I did find fascinating. One, I think was something that Sheena mentioned, but it could have been Lala. So apologies is what happens when I only watch an episode once instead of 36 times, which was uh, one of Ariana's friends essentially saying, how can Ariana process what has happened with Sandoval while she's with Dan, her new boyfriend? And I thought that was an absolutely valid point from, again, Sheena or Lala, <laughs> maybe somebody else. I don't know not that dead salamander or whatever. I forget what he was. What was he? Some kind of something, a gecko. I don't know. But a, a reptile family. Um, so 
you know, I think that that's an incredibly valid point. And you have to look at her reaction going into TomTom to get a glimpse into that. You don't really have to worry about focusing or living in and experiencing old memories when you're in the throes of creating new ones. And I do think there's something to be said for the, you know, like, listen, timing's not great. Ask um, Lisa Hochstein and, and Jody, I suppose. There are moments in which you find someone, meet someone um, that might not be the best timing if you're going through an acrimonious divorce a la the Hochsteins or an acrimonious breakup partnership a la Ariana and Sandoval. Um, so there is that, you know, timing obviously is important. Um, if you find someone that you really connect with, that's all fine and good. That's a positive thing. They can help you maybe process aspects of your relationship and also focus on your new one. The fact that she met Dan or Daniel 10 or 11 days, she said, after the actual finding the phone and after the the breakup itself is that's that's tight. That that's tight timing. I mean, he for all intents and purposes, for the little that we know of of Dan or Daniel, apologies. Uh, he seems like a perfectly nice guy who seems very supportive of her. The fact that they're balancing all of this with him living in New York and her living in L.A. Typically, except when she's in town, you know, starring on Broadway. I think that's actually probably a benefit. Um, aside from the fact that they have to deal with flying back and forth. It does, I think, give her a little bit of space, which I would think is important. If he was living in L.A. full time when they met, I could just see them connecting so deeply that I think they would have gone even further in commitment that I don't think would be helpful for Ariana long term. Like, let's try to ease into this as best we can. But sure, is there I I, I mean, I would be curious for Ariana's response, but my guess is that she would certainly understand that perspective of you know, have I have I truly fully unpacked the levels of trauma of this breakup, the experiences that I had with past relationships, how triggering this breakup would have been compounding that on top of the public reaction of it all, on top of the additional stresses that she's going through as a result of that, which can certainly be related to positive opportunities as well. Just kind of trying to balance all of this. It's a lot of noise. Even if a lot of noise is people like screaming, we support you, it's still a lot of sound to hear and process. So if she has found for herself someone that she feels like is a really helpful, positive support system, that's great. I fully, you know, we stand, <laughs> we stand this man down, but I, I just don't know how much of that, the the total lapse of any kind of time of just focusing solely on this relationship as terribly painful as that would be um, separate from a camera crew, let alone as a part of your job, I think would be, would have been a benefit. But you can't help sometimes the people you fall in love with. But I say that noting that, yeah, is there the possibility here that she has not fully processed the Sandoval of it all, the Scandoval of it all, and the Sandoval of it all, because she quickly met this man just inadvertently, accidentally. She went to a friend's, dear friend's wedding, and he was there, and she was there, and they just kind of connected, and and there we all are. Um, it's it, it is something that gives me like a little bit of pause, but I also think 
you know, she's gone through so much. If this man brings her, I think you can feel both feelings at once. Honestly, I think you really can. And I did also think, speaking of all things Ariana and Lala, that there was a missing piece here that I did not fully understand when it came to that final girls' night dinner that ended the premiere, which then Andy mentioned on Watch What Happens, but I don't think he got what Lala was saying then either, because everyone keeps connecting Rachel with Rand. And I actually think that Lala was trying to explain herself, but she maybe didn't communicate it effectively in um, answering Andy's question of like, you know, a lot of people are upset, blah, blah, blah. What's your response to the Rachel of it all because of the upset that you felt about Rand? And in both cases, on the episode and on Watch What Happens, I understood what Lala was saying. And I thought the part of the critique was not entirely on the ball. Part of it was. But, you know, is Lala a a hypocrite because she didn't want anyone talking to Randall, but now she's talking to Rachel. And my immediate reaction to that is, but Rachel isn't the ex. Like, she's an ex-friend. She's an ex-former friend. She's certainly the ex-former friend that Tom cheated on Ariana with. But to compare Rachel to Randall's mistress is to assume in that situation that Lala wanted to remain with Randall. And she didn't. So if Lala is, if if this situation is like equalizing Sandoval and Randall, I think there's a part of this where they're putting Rachel in Randall's position, but there's also a part of this where they're just saying that Rachel is the quote unquote other woman of your partner, but it, the math doesn't math because obviously Lala does not want to be with Randall. So if like Ariana, for example, reach out to one of Randall's, if Randall cheated on Lala, which I think didn't he multiple times, if if Ariana reached out to one of the women that maybe allegedly Randall cheated on Lala with, I don't know that Lala would have this huge philosophical issue of that because I think your response could be that first off, obviously that would be to assume that Lala and Rand maybe wanted to stay together. But also I look at Lala and Randall's ex-wife's relationship, like as a result of their breakup, this woman that Lala had a lot of negative shit to say when she was with Randall, she's now close to his ex-wife. So while I agreed with Katie and her right to say that, yeah, this is different from the Randall of it all because the players are different, I 100% agree with that. Because if you think about it through the lens of like friendship betrayal, then yes, certainly I understand why contacting um, Rachel would be complicated. I, I totally get that because there's that level of betrayal that all of the women feel about Rachel lying to them and about Rachel deceiving them and about their relationship with Sandoval as a good friend as well as Ariana, likely as a closer friend. Like that's all fine and good. I do agree with that. But I also just think the comparison to it being one of Randall's like quote unquote mistresses doesn't totally it it just doesn't totally pass for me like I don't I just don't I intrinsically instinctively don't think that the comparisons are equal I, I just feel I think the comparison would be more equal if Lala said 
I sent a voice note to Sandoval. If Lala said, I've sent a voice note to Sandoval, then yes, the circumstances would be equal. But in this situation, yes, did Rachel betray her good friend Ariana? Yes. Did she deceive her other friends? Certainly, absolutely. Does Sheena have a whole other can of worms with her because of the TRO, the temporary restraining order? Absolutely. They have some shit that Sheena will never get over for reasons that may be, you know, very valid. Um, but I just didn't think that comparison totally made sense. But I did the the moment that will stay with me more, maybe more than anything else over the course of this episode was the look of shock on Katie's face. <laughs> like, I don't know if it was shock mixed with delight of like, oh, this is something that was inex- unexpected. But Lala did the thing that I mean, a lot of people do, which, which is to prepare a shit sandwich of like, I'm going to compliment you at the beginning and end of what it is I'm about to say. And I'm going to put in the direct middle of it some like wild shit. But I'm going to say some good stuff about you and then some at the beginning and some good stuff about you at the end. And we're just going to see what happens as a result of some of the shit that I might have to explain. And Katie's face during that was just honestly an LOL to me. And she was right. The players are different. I just didn't. Maybe it's me. I need to hear from you guys. Comment in the um, post for this episode because it might it genuinely might just be me, but I did not get the hypocrite comparison because it just... I get the, you know, she didn't want anyone talking about Rand, but but Rachel isn't the Rand in this scenario. I think it would have been a stronger comparison of like, aren't you a hypocrite if Lala, who is constantly talking, and I don't mean that in a derogatory way, but she's genuinely focused on the um, the a complicated reality of being in a relationship or going through a breakup with a very, very toxic man and a toxic partner. So in that scenario, if her seeming platform right now, her public platform is talking about the harm of toxic, emotionally manipulative men who are, you know, passive aggressive and whatever else, if, you know, through her talking about that platform, she had reached out to Sandoval Yes, I would think that that was hypocritical and I would think that that would make a lot of sense to make an example of and to explore. But this wasn't the same situation. This was Rachel. This was not this was not Tom. It is in fact not about Tom. And what a miracle, even though it still kind of is. Um so I I thought it was like a t- perfectly fine premiere. Like did I did it change my life? No, did it need to? No. Um, I was interested. I was also really, really happy that James has decided not to continue drinking alcohol, full stop. I do wonder, God help us, what led to Allie saying, you can you just, I cannot be with you or remain with you potentially if you are still drinking alcohol. I don't know how much info we will get from his behavior, but Lord knows we have seen an awful lot. And he just, he doesn't, he does not, alcohol does not benefit James in any way. So if he is not drinking and full stop, great. I think that is a, a good, healthy forward-moving behavior. And it's great that he has Lala in the group to hopefully help support him and maybe they can support each other. I think that's helpful too, because when you think about the many, many years of VPR that has like revolved, but also people in the cast were younger and they were kind of going through whatever, um, the way that binge drinking was just at the focus of a lot of those like sloppy hot mess fights, especially the ones in the first couple seasons. And to see the way the show has evolved, the cast members have evolved. And then 
some of them have maybe (laughs) stayed in place or maybe become worse versions of the fact that maybe we're giving them too much credit before. Maybe there was a little bit of an act to some sort of emotional maturity or just the benefit of the doubt that we gave to Sandoval, for example. If we have other people who seem to be growing and making healthy choices and still obviously participating in drama and everything else, but if it's not centered around binge drinking in the way that it was when we first met these people over a decade ago, over a decade ago, I think that is a positive, uh, positive move going forward. And I'm here for it. So let me know your thoughts in the premiere. I'm super curious. I want to know how you're thinking, how you're feeling. And um, I'll have, I guess, I guess this is a not, this is the Nini and Cynthia friendship contract where it may be signed and it may be not, and maybe it'll be thrown in the fire (laughs) that I hope to listen to I guess one of Rachel's podcasts, except I think the Schwartz stuff just happened recently. So I don't know how I'm going to figure that out. And then the Nick Vial of it all with the Toms, because it just looks like such a shit show that I do think if anyone is giving Tom even an ounce of credit that he doesn't deserve, it does appear that people should probably redirect him to that episode. And I do also remember, because I've seen other Nick Vial eps recently, that there was one where he was talking to his fiance, who's also uh, his co-host on his podcast, and saying, oh, yeah, we just, you know, recorded this thing and something happened. That was like the craziest thing that has happened recently. And it was just this like terrible thing that happened during a podcast recording. And I can't believe that it happened and whatever else. And I did. This was like not yesterday, but recently. And I did think to myself, like, oh, I wonder what that's going to be. I feel like I'll have an idea of it when it drops. And then when they dropped the Tom's episode, I just thought, certainly. <laughs> whatever it was that they were just shocked and disgusted by my guesses it it came out of this episode um so yeah I guess we'll see (laughs) see what happens there um I'm taking one for the team (laughs) volunteering as tribute because I love you guys and you know I am a little curio um about what there is to unpack um so stay tuned for that At some point in the future, I will be procrastinating, but I will get to it. Um, Let me know your thoughts and feels. Join the Andy Scrolls Patreon, number one way to support the pod. Get exclusive bonus episodes and so much more at patreon.com slash Scrolls. Follow me on Instagram at Dame Galley and truly send me some satchels or comment on the graphic for this episode. Let me know your thoughts about that comparison um, with the Lala and the Rachel and the Sandoval and the Rand or really... Yeah, the Lala, Rachel Sandal and um, Sandoval and Rand. I'm curious for how you thought uh, it came across on the show, on Watch What Happens, and what your interpretation of that is. I would genuinely um, love to hear it because I want to know if I'm like in the total minority on this because I just found it sort of inexplicable. It just didn't, it didn't, not to say it, everything always needs to be like apples to apples, but it just really truly was not. It was lacking um, the obvious addition of Rachel into the mix, the way that they were, you know, and the fact that, you know, Rachel is in Sandoval. And if this season teaches us anything, maybe it will continue to teach us that. On that note, thanks so much for listening. And we, by we, I mean (laughs) me, myself, and I (laughs) will chat with you soon. Bye-bye.